Thank you for listening to the Calvary Church Podcast. If this ministry has been a blessing to you, would you let us know? Send an email to mystory@toledocalvary.org. We would love to hear what God is doing in your life today. Well, I hope you had a great Thanksgiving. Probably this Thanksgiving weekend is the, the best weekend for us to be able to wrap up this series that we've been in. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Ecclesiastes chapter 12 today. Ecclesiastes chapter 12. We've had kind of a specific theme or, or target to this series, if you will, and, and uh, maybe this weekend you got to slow down a little bit. Like, uh, I hope you had some good time with family and friends. Maybe you ate well and maybe even a little more than you should have. Can I get an amen? <laughs> and uh, hopefully, maybe you got a day or two off of work, or uh, maybe you slowed down enough. Maybe you, maybe you did some, uh, some shopping, and, and maybe you, uh, you, got, you got some good deals. I'm hoping that somewhere between the turkey and the Black Friday and the football, you had an opportunity to reflect a little bit. Maybe to stop and slow down a little bit and think about not just what you're thankful for, but the year ahead, maybe even how you're living your life. Like, that's been the whole point of this series. Like, we've, we've called this whole series Sunday Drive because kind of uh, there was a practice more common in, in past days when people would take time on a Sunday and stop and slow down and, and, and maybe go for a drive and think about the world around us. A Sunday Drive slows you down enough to think about what drives you. And uh, last spring, when, when I kind of had a, a moment where I realized, Chad, you're, you're letting life just fly by. You need to slow down a little bit. I thought of this concept of a Sunday drive, and with that concept, man, I felt like the, the book of Ecclesiastes came into my heart that we would work our way through that. This was back, back in uh, April of last year, or this year, and uh, I, I did not know how much I was going to personally like, enjoy and glean from the book of Ecclesiastes. And to be honest, I'm, I'm sad that we're wrapping up this series today because we, we can have an opportunity to slow down and think a little bit more about our lives. When we started it back in September, the very first week, if you, if you remember this, we took time on that Sunday, and the, the three points, if you will, of the sermon that week were to look at some of the very common phrases that you see, at the, especially at the beginning of the book of Ecclesiastes. And we looked at three of these, verse, these phrases. All three of them are in verse 14 of Ecclesiastes chapter one. Solomon, who refers to himself as the teacher, says, I have seen all the things that are done under the sun, all of them are meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Three kind of iconic and critical phrases to the book of Ecclesiastes all in that one verse. And we looked at them. We, we talked on that first Sunday of this series about how everything is meaningless, meaning that everything's temporary and that, that so much of what we see in this life does not last. And we talked about how he said how we all live under the sun, that at some point our, our lives, this, this life, will, will, will cease when we no longer live on this earth. We'll no longer have the opportunity to have influence on this planet under the sun like we do today. And we're all chasing after the wind. Like for many of us, we're striving after things that are unattainable, that we'll never be able to grasp and get a hold of. And so that's what he talked to us about. And so we've worked our way through these 12 chapters in the book of Ecclesiastes. And now we're going to come to this last chapter we're going to start at verse 8, and then we're going to look at verses 13 and 14 today. And see how he wraps up this book of Ecclesiastes, which has showed us so much about how to practically live our lives. Like, I think as we've get to the, gotten to the end of this book, we've learned a lot. Our perspective has been enhanced by the wisdom that the teacher Solomon has shared with us. And I want to go back to those original three points. Everything is meaningless. We all live under the sun. We're all chasing after the wind. I want to go back to those three points, and now... Now that we're not in chapter one anymore, but now that we've worked our way through the book, how has our perspective changed? Like, how has Ecclesiastes helped us to see life a little differently? So let's go back and look at those first three points, and then I want to add to them a little bit. I want to modify a little bit of what we said. Now that we've learned something from Solomon, let's go back to these things. Here's the first one. Point number one, everything is meaningless unless it isn't. Everything is meaningless unless it isn't. Here, here's, here's the thing. Like you, you say, well, Chad, is it meaningless or is it not meaningless? Like you say, everything is meaningless unless it isn't. That might sound confusing. It, it might sound like a double standard. It might sound like I'm being two-faced, like, like maybe Solomon was inconclusive or maybe he was wrong. Is everything meaningless or is it not meaningless? And the reality is we, when we look at this, he's very clear with us and he tells us that everything 
is meaningless. If you remember, like at the very beginning, verse two of this book, we looked at it again last week. He launches out and he says, look, everything is meaningless. And then when you get to the very end of the book, Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse eight, he says almost exactly the same thing again. Look at this, Ecclesiastes 12, eight. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Everything is meaningless. Now, this is a literary principle. You go, why would he repeat that at the beginning and then say it again at the end? It's a literary principle called inclusio, and it's used in a way where you say something at the beginning and then you say it again at the end because you're trying to reinforce your thoughts. But here's what happens in between. From chapter 1 to chapter 12, you've gained more insight into that saying, so now it means something more to you than it did the first time. Like you heard it the first time, but then when you hear it at the end, you go, oh, okay, now I understand it more. And he says that everything is meaningless, and that's our first point today. Everything is meaningless unless it isn't. See, he says everything is meaningless. By that, he does not mean worthless. I had a, I had a friend say to me after the last service, he goes, thanks for helping me to understand Ecclesiastes a little bit better. Because every time he said life is meaningless, I, I used to feel like I had to go jump off a bridge. He says, but now I realize that he's saying something so much deeper than that. See, when he says everything is meaningless, what he's saying is that everything is temporary. Nothing is permanent. Life is like a vapor. Life is like a breath. It's here for a moment, and then it's gone. So everything that you do, there's some futility to it because it won't last forever. Everything is meaningless. Everything is temporary. Nothing is permanent. But here's the contrast that he shows us. Like, like he wants you to see, hey, hey, don't take life too seriously because it's not going to last forever. He says, everything is meaningless, but everything matters. Like, even though it seems like it's meaningless, recognize that everything matters. See, it all depends on your perspective. It all depends on how you look at things. It all depends on how you live your life. Remember this, like what are you living for? See, Solomon, the teacher who wrote Ecclesiastes, has over and over again helped us and challenged us with some choices in this book. Choices about what we'll do with our time, with our money, with our energy, with our relationships, with our life. And the question that he asks us is, is your life meaningless or will it matter? Because on its own, if you just live your life for yourself, if you just you know, go with the flow, if you just do what everybody else is doing, eventually it's going to be meaningless. The question is, will you live your life in a way that matters? What's the difference, Chad? I'm glad you asked. It's meaningless when you live for yourself. It matters when you live for God. It's meaningless when you live for yourself. It matters when you live for God. If you're just living for yourself, it will not last. But if you recognize that you're living for God, it makes a difference. When we live for ourselves, we fail to see that we actually, and this is key to this, we actually belong to God. If you were here last week, you know that when we, when we got to the verse, uh, verse 1 of Ecclesiastes chapter 12, you remember Solomon said, remember your creator. Why, why didn't he just say God? Well, why didn't he just use some other name for God? He says creator because he is the creator, you are the creation, He is the one who is in charge, and at the end of the day, your life does not really belong to you. It belongs to him, doesn't it? Doesn't it? You are a steward and not the owner. You've just been entrusted with your life. God is the owner of everything. You are a steward of what he has given to you. And with that in mind, if you live for yourself, it's meaningless. But when you live for God, That's when it matters. And here's why. If you get one thing that Solomon says in this whole book, grasp this. Life is meaningless without God. If you just live according to the culture, if you just live according to your own desires, if you just go with the flow, if you just do what what seems right, if you just take the easy path, eventually you're going to step back and you're going to look at your life at the end and go, this was meaningless. Your life's meaningless without God. Here's what he says, life is meaningless, unless it isn't, because there's so much that you can look at that you can realize that it matters when you live it for God. Let me give you a few examples. Look, your time matters. What you do with your time, how how you spend your time. He talked about this, Ecclesiastes chapter three, verse 11. It says, for he has made everything beautiful in its time. 
He's also set eternity in the human heart. Yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. He says, look, it matters how you spend your time. Now, it's good to find times to relax and recharge and unwind. But are, are you wasting time? Like the ways in which you spend your time, is, is it meaningful or is it meaningless? Like, do you realize that your time matters? That God is the author and director of your time. So are you willing to share it in meaningful ways? Are, are you willing to make the most of the opportunities in your life? Because there's choices you have to make because time matters. Not only does your time matter, but the book of Ecclesiastes shows us that your money matters. That your money, your resources, what God's given to you. Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verse 19 Moreover, when God gives someone wealth and possessions and the ability to enjoy them, to accept their lot and be happy in their toil, this is a gift of God. How do you spend your money? Do you spend it like it's meaningless? Now, I'm I'm not saying that to be critical of any of the Black Friday deals that you got within the last 48 hours or your Cyber Monday planning for tomorrow because I was right there with you. Right? That's sometimes being a good steward. Find the, find the best price and do it. But think about how you spend your money. Think, think maybe even in a bigger, your view of money. Are you a good steward? How, how do I know? Well, does money bring you stress? Does it bring you fear? Does it maybe even bring conflict into your life? Like these are good things to consider when we talk about it. Or do you, do you live your life like, like money's meaningless or like it matters? Because Ecclesiastes says that the resources, the things that God gives to us, we are a steward of those things. So we're to be willing to share them, and we're to be willing to honor God with those resources in in our lives. The the Bible has brought us to this point, right? This is one of the, the topics in the book of Ecclesiastes. So can I just park here for a minute and talk about money? And some of you just went, oh boy, here it goes. All them preachers get there at some point. <laughs> going to meddle in my life and talk about my, my money. He's going to talk about my money, right? And you're right. And some of you are like, well, he's after money for the church. And the reality is the church needs money. Like ministry requires money for it to happen. Now, I'm really thankful that because of your generosity, we, we've had a really strong financial year as a church. I also do believe that money's important because God has bigger things. He has exciting things ahead for us. But can I tell you what my bigger concern is today? My bigger concern is not the money you give to Calvary. My, my bigger concern is the obedience that you give to God in this area of your life. How, how you honor God with your finances. Let, let, me, let me show you this. Solomon wrote this, not in Ecclesiastes, but in the book of Proverbs. He said, Proverbs eleven twenty four. one person gives freely yet gains even more. Another withholds unduly, but comes to poverty. A generous person will prosper, and whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. Some of you are are standing here on December 1st, and your focus is already on the year 2020. Like you're starting to think ahead. In the back of your mind, you've got some thoughts. You're like, there's there's some things I need to address. I I need to fix some things in my life in the next year. Like, I need to be, be more mindful about my weight. I need to do something about that as I go into the new year. And I need to be more mindful about my time. I want to spend my time better. And some of you are thinking, I have financial challenges that I, I'm just going to address in the next year. I'm going to go after these things. And can I encourage you, according to biblical principles, oftentimes one of the reasons that we struggle financially is because we're not putting our finances in a place where God can bless them. We're keeping them in our hands instead of them entrusting them into his hands and following biblical principles of stewardship. that We say, God, I realize that my money, the things that I have actually all come from you, so I want to honor you with my resources. Well, what does that look like, Chad? Well, I think, one, it's being mindful and saying, God, I know that everything I have comes from you. And one of the ways that the Bible shows us that we respond to that is, is by what's called the tithe. If you've never heard of this term, there's a biblical principle where the first fruits, the first things that come into your life, when you receive your income, that the first 10% you give back to God, and we believe the Bible teaches that that's through the local church, that you give that first 10% back to the local church in obedience to God. And some of you went, 10%, are you kidding me? Like, that's a lot of money, and I don't have a lot of money. I would just encourage you, if you're not following biblical principles, that's the standard that's in Scripture. If you're not following biblical principles in that area of your life, start somewhere. 
Like even if you can't start with that 10%, see what the Bible said there, that when one person gives freely, yet gains even more. That there's a refreshing that comes to us. That's not a promise where you manipulate God. That's a promise where God blesses obedience, right? And so we trust him with that in our lives. Like, like start somewhere. And for some of you, you might be looking ahead and you're looking at January. And you go, okay, talk to your spouse. Talk to your, talk to your budget. And then say, okay, in January, I'm going to start taking steps of obedience. And that's the only place in Scripture where I know that God says, hey, try me in this. Like, test me in this. God's like, bring it. And see if I won't honor my word in your life. Because this is a critical component in our lives. How much of our time do we spend making money and spending money and worrying about money somewhere in between? And one of the greatest barometers of our relationship with God in our lives comes in this area. So that's why I stress this. Because for some of you, this is an area where you really need to listen to what God says and say, is it meaningless or does it matter? Like he talks about that in the area of our time. He talks about in the area of our, of our money. He also says that your work matters. Like, like where you work, your work, uh, even call it your school, wherever it is in this season of your life, your work matters. Here's what Solomon says, Ecclesiastes 3.22. So I saw that there's nothing better for a person than to enjoy their work because that is their lot. For who can bring them to see what will happen after them? Your work matters. So how do you view your work? Do you view it as meaningless? And some of you are like, yeah, I view it as meaningless, Chad, because my job is meaningless. For some of you, you might be tempted to think that at times, but I really do believe, even if you're in a job you do not like, that God has you in that place for this season, not just so you can pay the bills, but also so that you can change the world, and that your job matters. If you don't like it, be faithful where you are and believe that through that faithfulness, God is going to lead you to, to other things, to other places. Look, Solomon says your work matters. He also says your family matters. Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verse 9. Enjoy life with your wife whom you love. All the days of this meaningless life that God has given you under the sun. All your meaningless days. For this is your lot in life and in your toilsome labor under the sun. Do you see that? In the midst of all of this meaninglessness, he says, enjoy your wife. Enjoy your family. Like, realize that there's a priority there. Like, this is a big one. Step back and ask yourself, my interaction with my family, at the end of the day, has it been meaningless or does it matter? Like, the time you spend with your spouse. Here's, here's what I'm learning it's easy to be married to our phones and roommates with our spouse. And we need to say, the time that I'm spending, does it matter? Parents, I want to encourage you. The days may feel long, but the years are short. Seize those moments that are there. Make the most of that time. Don't look back and say, my parenting my marriage, my role in interaction with my family was meaningless. Choose that it matters. Here's so many times when I talk with people about their families, I gotta say to them, look, you get one shot at this. You get one shot to be the spouse God called you to be. You get one shot in this season to be the parent your child needs you to be. You get one shot in this moment to care for your parents or to be there for your family. Look, don't miss that. You make it count because your family matters. Last one, your choices matter. Like, like, it's not meaningless what you choose. Ecclesiastes chapter 11, verse nine. You who are young, be happy while you're young and let your heart give you joy in the days of your youth. Follow the ways of your heart, whatever your eyes see, but know that for all these things, God will bring you into judgment. He says, yes, live your life, but don't forget it's not about you. Because if you live it for you, it's meaningless. If you live it for God, do the things that God's put in your heart to do, then it matters. Living for pleasure does not last. See, that's where some people get the message of Ecclesiastes messed up in their head. They say, well, he says it's meaningless. He says to enjoy life, I'm just gonna do what I want. But when you live for pleasure, it does not last, which takes us to our second point. Look, our first point was everything is meaningless, unless it isn't. And the second one is we all live under the sun until we don't. We all live under the sun, number two, until we don't. 
Well, what does under the sun mean? It means the life that's lived on this earth while this body that you and I have right now is breathing. While we are under the sun and in its orbit, this is the life that we have. And multiple times, Solomon has reminded us that it's only gonna last for so long. Do you remember that last week? Last week, he was like, well, your days are numbered. Someday you're going to the grave and you won't do anything there. Like, those are his words. But he's reminding us that we only have so much time in this body to live. And you will only live under the sun for so long, and then you won't. And it's important that you keep that in mind. Because he, he points us to this. If you go to the very last verse, the very last verse of the book of Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 14, here's what he says. For God will bring every deed into judgment including every hidden thing, whether it is good or evil. For God will bring every deed into judgment. You see what he says there? Watch, watch the course of the book. You will live for so long, then you will no longer live under the sun, then you will face judgment. You're gonna live under the sun until you don't, and then you're gonna have to give an account for how you lived your life. Was it meaningless or did it matter? It's meaningless when we live for today. It matters when we live for eternity. Let me, let me say that again. It's meaningless when we just live for today. If your focus is just on today, eventually Solomon says it's meaningless, but it matters when we live for eternity. We have to live with eternity in mind because he keeps bringing up this idea of judgment. You'll hear this multiple times. We'll look at another verse here in a moment where Solomon brings up this idea that at the end of this life, you're gonna face judgment for how you live that life. Judgment's a harsh word, isn't it? Like, I don't think anybody likes that word. But when we hear it, it's important for us to recognize it. And I wrestled about it. Why is this such an important thing? Like, we hear it all throughout the Bible, but then Solomon keeps bringing it up in the book of Ecclesiastes. Why is judgment so important? Let me tell you why. Because without judgment, there is no meaning. The reason our lives have meaning is because we have to give an account for how we live them. If we didn't have to give an account, it wouldn't matter how we lived, but we have to give an account, so if we be careful how we live. Let me give you an example. And We talked about this, I think, in this series a couple weeks ago. You remember when you're sitting in class, right? And the teacher's going on, and on and on, kind of like the 10 a.m. service at Calvary Church. He's going on and on and on. And all of a sudden, somebody raises their hand and says, excuse me, is this going to be on the test? Do you know what I'm talking about? Because if here's, here's code for this. What this means is if this isn't on the test, I do not care and I'm not listening anymore. Kind of like Sunday church at Calvary Assembly, right? Right, someday I'm going to start giving a test on Sundays. Why? Because when there's a test, you pay attention. You're sent home with homework. You ask, is, this, is, there, is there a grade on this? Because if there's no grade, are you going to do it? No. Wow, okay. That was quick. No, you're probably not. Why? Because if I don't have to give an account for this, then it probably doesn't really matter, and I'm not going to think about how I live it. Part of the reason why your life matters is because someday you're going to have to stand before God. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 17. Solomon says, I said to myself, God will bring into judgment both the righteous and the wicked, for there will be a time for every activity, a time to judge every deed. Someday you and I will stand before God and be judged for our lives. But let's talk about this judgment in two different ways. Here's, here's the first one Your life will be judged by others. This is your legacy. Like Solomon points this out to us, your life is gonna be judged by others because that's your legacy. Remember this one? We were here a few weeks ago. Ecclesiastes chapter seven, verse one. A good name is better than fine perfume and the day of death better than the day of birth. It's better to go to a house of mourning than to go to a house of feasting. For death is the destiny of everyone. The living should take this to heart. Look, someday your life will end. And people will think about your life. They're gonna talk about your life. They're gonna wonder, did Chad have a good name? What, what do they think about when they think of you? Did they say, oh, she was, he was. How are they gonna talk about your life? Because that's your legacy, and it matters. And the question is, with what you had, what did you build? Something meaningless 
or something that mattered. There's a place in New Jersey called Montclair State University. It's the second largest state college in, in the state of New Jersey. And they're in the process of re- rehabilitating, they're renovating their old library building. It's a classic, beautiful building. They're going in and doing some renovation. And they've got these skilled um, demolition people who are coming in there. And one of the, is this brick wall that they've, they've got to take out actually very carefully for both the integrity of the structure and everything around it. So they've got this guy in there, and he's basically taken out like brick by brick. And he gets to this one spot, and he's moving it, taking this wall apart, and all of a sudden he hears glass break which is really weird because he's not working with glass. He's working with, right, (laughs) brick, right? So he starts digging around inside and he finds a glass bottle that was inside this wall. Inside the glass bottle was a note. The note read, this is to certify that this wall was built by two bricklayers from Newark, New Jersey by the names of William Hanley and James Lennon members of number three of the BMIU of America, dated July 3rd, 1907. Isn't that interesting? The two guys who built this wall apparently were sitting around at some point during the break, said, you know what would be fun? Just put a note in there. Maybe 112 years from now, they'll talk about us in Toledo. (laughs) Here's what they said. We're building something really cool here. Someday we want people to know we built this. We're going to leave this note, and it's our legacy. The university is actually kind of making a big deal out of this. They're going to, they're going to take the, the, the note and even some of the glass pieces that are left and, and put them in like a prominent place to recognize that 112 years ago, something very significant happened in that place. They say, look, this beautiful building that we have is in part because of these two guys and what they did, because they built something really special with their lives. That's their legacy. What's the, what's the note that you're leaving in your life? Like, what are the things that you're building? What, what glass bottles are you putting in places that at some point people are going to look and go, man, I'm glad she was in my life. Man, did he make a difference. Man, did he build something beautiful, and I want to model in my own life something out of that. Man, did she have an impact in my life. Like, where are the places that you're building things? Because that's your legacy. Solomon says at some point everything else is meaningless, but that legacy, it will last. That's why he says the day of a funeral is better than the day of birth because on the day of the funeral, you're leaving something for people to treasure, a legacy to hold on to, notes in bottles that will impact people's lives. What is your legacy? Because you're gonna be judged by that. But the other thing, and maybe, maybe this makes the first one more clear, I think you'll leave a legacy in your life if you'll recognize this one. You will be judged by God. This is your eternity. You're gonna be judged by others. That's your legacy, But you will also be judged by God. Your life will be judged by God. This is your eternity. We hear judgment a lot, don't we? Like if you're like me, depending on what church you grew up in, you heard about judgment every Sunday. I might have needed to hear about judgment every Sunday. I'm not sure. But it's a message that we hear so many times. What does it even mean when we talk about it? Well, well, Solomon brings it up a lot in Ecclesiastes. But it makes more sense to us when we hear judgment that, that's explained from a New Testament angle, right? So here's one of the things that Jesus said about judgment. Matthew chapter 12, verse 36. But I tell you that everyone will give account on the day of judgment for every empty word they have spoken. For by your words you will be acquitted, and by your words you will be condemned. Does that verse make anybody else nervous? Like, like that's... You are accountable for your words. Like Jesus says, the things that you say, how you speak, the words that you share with other people, you are accountable for your words. So we've got to think and consider, what what is my speech like? What are the words that come out of my mouth? What are are the things that I say? How do they impact other people? Because you're accountable for those words. Probably an interesting thing to think about on a weekend like this. Because some of you in the last few days may have said some things that you might have wished you, you didn't say. How do you know, Chad? Because I read a survey that said this about Thanksgiving. You ready? Here's, here's some numbers. Track with me on this. The survey finds that four hours or less is what most people can stand with their family. <laughs> four hours? Man, the, the, the switch flips. Here's what they found. 
75% of people will hit a point where they need time away from the crowd. Be careful about amending any of these statistics because they're sitting right next to you, okay? I like this one. One in four Americans, 25% surveyed, have hidden in a relative's house during a holiday meal. You're laughing, but that's you, right? 37% have gone so far as to make an excuse why they have to leave the house altogether. 95% of people, so that's, that's 95%, say it's important to spend time with the family at the holidays, but two in five, 40% of the people, are planning to stay with family and admit that it's going to be a stressful experience. So in those moments when that stress comes, remember, and, and track with me here for a minute, you're accountable for your words. You're not accountable for anybody else's words. You're never going to stand before Jesus and him go, can you believe what they said? Like, he's not going to do it. Right? He's not going to be like, aren't they something? Oh, you know? It's not going to happen. Jesus isn't going to ask you about their words. He's going to ask you about your words. You're accountable for your words, not anybody else's. And then look what Paul says. Like when we get to the book of Corinthians, Paul talks about this in both 1st and 2nd Corinthians. 1st Corinthians 4, 5, he says this. Therefore, judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait until the Lord comes. He will bring to light what is hidden in darkness and will expose the motives of the heart. At that time, each will receive their praise from God. It's not just your words but he knows the motives of your heart. Maybe it's the day and time that we live in, but I was thinking about that, and I thought, well, that's an invasion of my privacy. <laughs> right? These big tech companies and God trying to find out all my information. Except that's not God spying on you. Do you remember the deal here? He's the creator, you're the creation. So that's why he knows even what you're thinking. Right? He knows everything about you. And so the idea is we need to recognize we're not just accountable for our words. We're also accountable for our thoughts. And some of you are like, well, I have some thoughts sometimes that I shouldn't have. Let me, let me kind of help you with this a little bit. You're not going to be judged because you had a bad thought. Like all of us have bad thoughts. Some of you were sitting there Thursday and you took a bite of that casserole and you thought, what do I say? Because I'm having bad thoughts right now. Right? You're not accountable because you had a bad thought. You're accountable for what you do with that thought. Like, do you ruminate on it? Does that thought begin to direct your life? Does that temptation or that bitterness become what starts to control you? Because God knows, here's what he knows. He knows the motives of your heart. He knows what's inside and what's driving you. And then Paul helps us. Paul takes it one more step. In the city of Corinth, like many other of the major cities in the Roman world, there was a place, okay, kind of in the marketplace, in the center of the, the city, that was called the Bema seat. So this Bema seat was a place that you would go to, sometimes for like a public speaker would speak from the Bema seat, but one of the other major purposes of it was it was the place where, where judicious uh, proclamations were made. It's where judgment happened. So if you were on trial, you would go to the city center and the judge would sit in this Bema seat and the judge would judge you from that place. The reason Paul knew that is because he had to stand there. Because when Paul was in Corinth, he was called out by some other Jews who took him to the Bema seat because they said he was a heretic. So he was standing on trial at the Bema seat with his friends from the church, and Paul's there in front of the judge, and what he had said and done was being judged in that moment. So that's the context of this. Listen to what Paul says to us here. He says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 9, so we make it our goal to please him, speaking of God, whether we are at home in the body or away from it, for we must all appear before the judgment seat. The word there is bima in the Greek. We must all appear before the judgment seat, the bima seat of Christ, so that each of us may receive what is due us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. What he's saying is you are accountable for your actions. Paul says, you, you know that seat in the middle of your city? Like you're, you're gonna be accountable for your actions because at some point, you're not going to stand at the Bema seat in Corinth, but you're going to stand at the Bema seat in heaven. And you're going to stand before Jesus, and he's going to judge you based on your words and your thoughts and your actions. 
you're going you're to be face to face with him in that judgment moment. Because you're, you're going to live under the sun until you don't. And then when you no longer do, there's going to be a moment where you are accountable for your words, your thoughts, and your actions before the one who created you. That puts a different spin on life, doesn't it? Doesn't it? <laughs> and for some of us, one that's terrifying. Because some of you go, well, I don't like that. Because <laughs> I know what words I've spoken. And I know the thoughts that my brain gets stuck on. And I know the things I've done. Some of which nobody else, well, let me show you this. Romans chapter 2, verse 16. Romans 2, 16 says this. This will take place on the day when God judges people's secrets through Jesus Christ as my gospel declares. I don't like that, do you? <laughs> judges people's secrets. That judgment day is coming. And some of you right now say, I, I feel stuck. <laughs> like, I don't like that because I feel like that puts me in a place that I'm gonna have a hard time getting out of because I know my secrets and I don't wanna have to be accountable for them. There's a couple of teenage girls, about 17, in the city of Phoenix, just in the last week or two. The girl got home to her house with her friend and realized that the house was locked and she didn't have a key, didn't have any way to get in. They're trying to figure out how do we get in the house. And together, with the 17-year-old minds, they decided it would be wise for her to try to go down the chimney. So ranch house, she got up on the roof, went 17-year-old girl, started going down the chimney, and she got stuck. Now, I don't know how far down she got. I just know that every time I read it, I just, my, anybody else? Like, I just, oh, it just bothers me. Somehow, I mean, she, she, somehow she, it said she called her sister, because that's what I would do if I was stuck in a chimney. She called her sister and said, I'm stuck in the chimney. Her sister had enough sense to call 911. And uh, they came and they, they pulled her out like she was okay. But can I give you a piece of advice? Unless your name is Chris Kringle or your name is Nicholas and you're a saint, <laughs> don't try that. Like it, it does not work in real life. However, when I talk about judgment, some of you feel stuck. And you go, look, I could use a little 911 on this one because I can't get out of this spot by myself because I know my words, I know my thoughts, I know what I've done. There's no way I'm getting out of this on my own. I got some 911 for you. 1 John chapter 1, verse 9 says this. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Before that, that verse comes off the screen, take the reference on the verse and read it backwards. What is it? 1 John 1, 9. There's your 911 right there. If we confess our sins. Yeah, I did that on purpose. If we confess our sins, <laughs> he's faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Jesus forgives our sins. That's good news, right? But, uh, <laughs> Chad, you don't know what I did. Like, you don't know how much meaningless has been in my life. How is he ever gonna forgive me? I got good news for you. Romans chapter five, verse eight. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, the CGV, anybody read the CGV, the Chad Gilligan version? Have you read that version? says, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still stuck in the chimney, Christ died for us. Look, he loves you no matter who you are, no matter what you've done. And he has forgiveness available for you through Jesus Christ, which takes us to the third thing. Get this, number three. We are all chasing after the wind, except for when we are not. Like we can look at our life and feel like it's all meaningless. How does it matter? Can I tell you this? Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 13. This is it. If you only get one verse out of this whole book of Ecclesiastes, this is the one. Chad, how can you be so bold to say that? Because that's what it says. <laughs> look at this. Ecclesiastes 12, 13. Now all has been heard. Here's the conclusion of the matter. 
Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the duty of all mankind. You're chasing after the wind. Your life is, is running aimless and meaningless, except for when we're not. And do you know when we're not? When we fear God and keep his commandments. See, remember this. Life is meaningless without God. But when we find him, when he's the focus of our lives, when we live our lives to please him, when we realize that our time and our money and our work and our school and our families and our choices matter when we live them for him, when we recognize that someday we're going to have to stand before him and give an account for how we've lived our life, I'm thankful for forgiveness. I'm thankful that that he'll get me out of that chimney. But I want to live my life in a way that matters. And life is meaningless without God. So it says here that that the whole duty of mankind, like the the conclusion of it all, what are we supposed to do? It says we're supposed to fear God. And every time I hear that phrase, I go, I'm not so sure I know what that means. What does it mean to fear God? Well, let me show it to you from two perspectives. To fear God is to know who he is. Right? To fear God is to know who he is. Solomon said it this way, Ecclesiastes 3.14, I know that everything God does will endure forever. Nothing can be added to it, nothing taken from it. God does this so that people will fear him. Not so they'll be afraid of him, but so that they'll recognize his greatness, so that they'll see who he is, so they will understand how different he is from us, and as a result, that we will fear him, honor him, revere him, recognize who he is, and live our lives focused on him so it matters, not that it's meaningless. To fear God is to realize that I am the creation, he is the creator. I am just a part of his kingdom, and he is the king. We use these uh, kind of high and theological words, and we say that he's omnipotent, which means he's all-powerful, that he's omniscient, which means he knows everything, that he's omnipresent, which means he's everywhere at the same time, And that right there should tell me that God is different than I am. He is greater than I am. And what he deserves is my reverence and my respect. He's not my grandpa. And he's not my buddy. He's the God of the universe. And so I should fear him. Does that make sense? Like we fear God because of who he is. Let me me give you an illustration of this. Because sometimes it's hard for us to grasp this idea of fear. Right? There was a family in Lake Tahoe that's there on a trip, and they look out the window, and check this video out, this is, this is what they see. They look out the window, and when they do, they see this bear who knows how to open a car door. <laughs> and now the bear is inside the car, and they're trying to figure out what are we gonna do? Watch the bottom right-hand corner of your screen, because this guy's the hero, right? So he comes out, oh, I locked the door. And now he's, now it's, and he opens the door, and the door shuts. <laughs> That would happen to me right there. So the people inside are yelling at him. You got to open the door. You got to open the door. Get the bear out. You got to open the door. They're like freaking out. And he's like, you come down here, right? So now he comes back, very cautious. You notice he's not sitting in there to make sure the seat warmers are on for the bear. He's he's watching this. Now they're waiting. Out comes the bear. And now watch what happens. Like the bear just kind of walks around a little bit. The people are inside, by the way, kind of freaking out. Because at some point, you got this bear just kind of walking around. Watch it. Watch it. Somebody has just said, close the door, close the door. And the bear moves on. You thought he was going to go back in there. Yeah. If that had happened, I don't think I could bear it. I love that. That was an illustration of healthy fear, wasn't it? When you recognize the power of something, when you recognize the strength of something, and you know enough to say, that's different than I am, and I'm not gonna approach this thing lightly, I'm not gonna take it for granted, I'm not gonna think it doesn't matter. They had a healthy fear of that bear, did they not? We need to develop a healthy fear of God because he's different from who we are. But also know this, to fear God is to know who you are. To fear God is to know not just who he is, but it's to know who you are, that you are a part of God's kingdom. That you are, well, here's what Solomon said, now all has been heard, here's the conclusion of the matter. 
Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of mankind. God has asked us not just to fear him, but to do his will. We live to know God and to do his will. When he says to fear him, he doesn't mean to stay away from him. He means to know who he is, but then have you recognized this, that God not only wants us to know who he is, but he wants to know us. Like the reason he says to keep his commandments is because he loves us and he wants the best for us because he wants relationship with us. See, that's the difference between God and that bear. See, the people were in the house staying away from that bear and that bear just kind of lumbered around and then eventually just wandered off because the bear had all that power but was clueless to those people. And those people recognized his power but wanted to stay away from the bear. God's not a bear trying to get into your SUV. God is the creator who loves his creation, who wants to make sure that he has relationship with you. Look, I'm not gonna lie. When I sat in this seat and talked about having to someday stand before Jesus and give account for my life, that's a terrifying thought, is it not? Until you read this, Acts chapter 17, verse 31. For God has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he appointed. Do you know who the man he appointed is? It's Jesus. Look at what he says. He has given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. Did you realize that? That the same person who's going to judge me is the same person who loved me so much that he died for me? And he rose again? See, God is not unfair and he is not unkind. This is what Solomon wants you to see. Fear God, keep his commandments. Recognize that your life is meaningless until you find that it matters when you give your life to God. Because without God, life is meaningless. With him, all of a sudden, everything matters. So don't miss this, he says. Don't miss the point of it all. He says nothing matters and everything matters. When you live it for yourself, nothing matters. But when you live for God, everything matters. Here's my question for you. What are you living for? In your life, as you, as you think about this, as we've worked our way through, through the book of Ecclesiastes, what are you living for? Is it meaningless or does it matter? And can I bring this in a little bit more? Let me, let me take this, this thought about the bear a little bit deeper. Because for some of us, we're having a hard time seeing that relationship with God. There's a, there's a phrase that I had never heard before, and I heard it leading up to Thanksgiving this year. It's, it's the phrase turkey drop. Anybody heard this? Turkey drop? Some of you are thinking WKRP when I say that, <laughs> right? And others of you, you're thinking about like when they, when they put the turkey in the big thing of the oil, you know, the fry, deep fryer for the turkey. Turkey drop is this phrase. It's actually popular on college campuses about when someone who is a freshman student goes away to college, comes home at Thanksgiving break, and says to their high school sweetheart, you know I've changed. And she says to him, I don't think it's gonna work for us anymore. And so I'm gonna go back to college and we're gonna break up. And that's the turkey drop, where someone comes home at Thanksgiving break, breaks up with their high school sweetheart. And some of you feel like that's what God has done to you. Some of you, when I talk about God, you're like, okay, cool, whatever. But I feel like God has, has left me out there. I feel like God broke up with me. Things aren't going the way that I thought they should. Things aren't, things aren't the way I wanted them to be. There's been these times when I've tried to reach out to God and it feels like he's not there. Look, that's been the things we've heard Solomon say all along here. Life is hard at times. And some of you feel like it's been the turkey drop from God. And there's a flip side of that too. I think for some of us have turkey dropped God. At some point we were like, you know God, I think I've kind of moved on from you. And I'm not so sure I need these rules and regulations and all this fairy tale stuff anymore. And so somewhere back there, you turkey dropped God and you've moved on over here. And I don't know which it was, whether you feel like God dropped you or you feel like you dropped God, but you're sitting here today and you're looking at your life and you're going, a lot of this is meaningless. And I wanna live a life that matters. And I can't do it on my own anymore. And something in my life has got to change. I'm gonna ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes for just a moment, whether you're in this room or an auditorium too, or you're watching this on a screen somewhere. 
And I want you to take just a moment and ask yourself the question, what are you living your life for? Like Solomon in the book of Ecclesiastes takes a good look at his whole life and he looks back and he's asking you this question and he's asking me this question. What are you living your life for? Like what's the purpose? What's the meaning? And are you living a life that's meaningless? That at the end you're gonna look back and go, I don't know that any of that mattered. Or are you living your life for God? And saying, God, with my time, with my money, with my job, with my family, with my choices. God, I put my life in your hands. Lord, I wanna live my life in a way so that my words and my thoughts and my actions, when I someday stand before you, are pleasing to you. God, thanks that when I was stuck, you sent out the 911 and you died so that my sins could be forgiven. Jesus, you're my savior. And I make you my Lord because if I live my life for myself without a fear of God, it will not last. But I want to live a life that matters. So I put my life in your hands. I can't do it on my own anymore. God, I want to live for you. My question to you is, is your life meaningless or are you living in a way that matters with Jesus as the Lord and Savior of your life? God, your word has showed us today that you know each one of our hearts. So in this moment, Father, we surrender our lives to you. For some of us, today's been a bit of a recalibration to say, God, I don't want to live for things that are meaningless. For others of us, it's been a, it's been a moment of, of pure surrender to say, God, I can't do it on my own anymore. And Lord, for others of us, this has been a chance to say, God, somewhere you and I ended up in two different places. But today I'm reminded that you've been waiting for me all along. And God, I surrender my life to you. Lord, may we live our lives in a way that matters with you as the focus of our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, thanks for being here today. I pray that God's word will stick with you, that it will come back to us throughout this week. Have a great week. Go with his special favor and his wonderful peace. We'll see you next Sunday.